The Wine Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Arizona Wine Monk Wine Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett. I'm here with my friends on the sweeping plains of Kansas, or whatever passes for sweeping plains this time of year. Sarah and Greta, they're good friends of mine. Sarah is the blogger for The Sheaf and Vine, which is a blog focused on Missouri and Kansas wines. I've invited them to join me today for the Dancing Apache Ranch Willow White, which is 100% Sauvage Blanc. The reason why I invited them is because it's not very common to find this grape here in Arizona, but it's uh, pretty common over there. That it is. Excellent. So, let us begin. Whee! It just flew across the... (laughs) We cheated and pre-prepared, so we have no flying corks. (laughs) Been breathing for a few minutes. Flying cork. That sounds like a name for a winery. What does? The The flying flying cork. Ooh, that would be. I like this. Well, you guys can have dibs. I already have a name for my future one. What is that? Well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Public? Not public. (laughs) So, what are we getting on the nose of this wine? Hmm. Pineapple, some honeydew, definitely fruity something. Grapefruit. Getting a little bit of like a lemon, lemony, lemonness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something citrus for sure. Like a citrus peel of some sort. Maybe pear or not pear. It's some sort mm. of other fruit too. Yeah, it's almost kind of musky. The musky is actually. Um, Oh, good, we get to talk about this grape now. So Sauvage Blanc is one of those categories of grapes known as hybrids. What that means is, back in the dawn of the American wine industry, people can figure out why the hell European grapes weren't growing well here. And so people started doing other American grapes, and then someone sent some American grapes over to France, and then all hell broke loose. Because there's this little obnoxious, like, aphid thing called phylloxera, which is a bug that eats the roots. The American grapes are used to this. The grapes in Europe did not involve with this, so they started falling by the wayside. One of the ways people tried to save the wine industry there was by breeding American stock with... French stock. If I remember correctly, Sauvage Blanc was part some American grape and part Viognier? Or was that Vignoles? I can't remember. The point is, this particular style of grape are known as hybrids because they're hybrids between vinifera and the various American species of grapes. And a lot of them are known for having a sort of like foxy, musty character, apparently. I don't have that much experience with hybrids because there aren't very many hybrids that are grown in Arizona. Sauvage Blanc and Tremignette seem to be the only two so far, although someone is growing Vignoles in Chino. Hmm. And of course, I didn't bring my giant red book with me because I'm a moron. <laughs> well, we can look it up on Wiki because, you know, that's the miracle of Wikipedia, right? Indeed. We just looked up the grape on Wiki, so we learned a few of those things because we decided we should be prepared. So, what are we getting on the palate while I look this uh, information up? Um, it's pleasantly balanced. It's not too sweet, not too dry. And by that, I mean it's pleasant to me because it's not too sweet. Definitely some apple, I would say. Yeah, you can get kind of an apple pear thing. It also kind of hits the back of your throat with a little bit of spice or heat of some kind. Like grapefruit pet. There's definitely a citrus bitterness at the end. It's not lemon, and it's not lime. It's more like grapefruit to me. Mm-hmm, 
intermingling with like a peachy, apple-y, peri, pineapple thing. Mm-hmm. It's very fruity, but not saccharine or overly sweet in any way, fortunately. Yeah, and when I say musky, I mean like smelling a basket of peaches that's kind of sitting there in the summer heat, like that kind of soft muskiness, mm-hmm. not like a candle. <clears throat> like ripe fruit. Ooh. Hmm. I'm getting a little of that Arizona terroir, too. The little, the rainwater from the finish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How does this differ from Kansas Savoie Blanc? I mean, what would you say is the distinctive terroir note for most of Kansas and Missouri? Probably the distinctive one is sort of a salty tang at the end, which, like, almost a salt, like a sodium kind of flavor. And then for Arizona, it tastes like the smell of rainwater in the summer. So I would say that's fairly universal with most Kansas and Missouri wines that I've tried so far, particularly the whites where it kind of comes out a little bit more than it does in a red. So do you have any theories on why it seems like most Kansas and Missouri wines have this sort of salty characteristic to them? I'm assuming slash hoping it has something to do with our soil types and bedrock and all of that stuff, but I don't know for sure. It could be something unfortunate like agricultural chemical runoff or something like that that we might have that could be different from Arizona. But I feel that I have to try more wines from other states to sort of decide whether this is a real theory or not. Hey, I mean, it would have something to do with, like, the limestone in the soil or something. Mm-hmm. The fact that it used to be a giant sea here, it's kind mm-hmm. of salty so. Yeah, most of the ocean rock in Arizona, well, there was ocean in most of the areas where you're growing grapes. The Mm -hmm. rocks are very different. It's less limestone for the most part, although here in the Verde Valley, the limestone is mostly much later, getting to when this area was a giant lake bed. But this area where this is grown, this is coming from Dancing Apache Ranch. You guys did not get to see this when you were here, mostly because it's tucked away right at the foot of House Mountain. Uh, So it's mostly basalt with some of the spring water that's coming up from underground, percolating through the red wall and verde formations underneath. And literally there's springs that just bubble out right in the middle of the vineyard. It's pretty cool. That's very cool. So was, I don't know my geology very well, but was Kansas AC more recently than Arizona? By any chance? Uh, yes, actually. Basically, during the Cretaceous period, most of Kansas was underwater. Most of Missouri was underwater, too, if I remember correctly. The last time there was any real ocean in any of the areas where you're growing grapes in Arizona was during the Permian period, about 200 and... 270 million years ago. Okay. So way back when, before even mm-hmm. dinosaurs were kicking around and screaming or doing whatever dinosaurs did. Wow. And the trilobites and the crinoids, yes. Trilobites and crinoids and brachiopods, oh my. (laughs) Dancing Apache is, as far as I'm aware, the only vineyard where actually Savoie Blanc is being grown so far here in Arizona. So do you um, want to try it? Do you know why they're planting it? The idea was they wanted a white that was used to cold environments. The area where the Saval Vineyard is, is one of the closest areas of the vineyard to Oak Creek. So that's the coldest part of the vineyard. All of the winter frosts go roaring down from Sedona, down the creek, so they needed something cold tolerant. That was also tasty. Saval Blanc was the grape that came up, and for a long time, that was where Page Springs was sourcing their Saval Blanc. Now Dancing Apache is... Doing its own thing. Eric Glomsk is, well, he was, ma- he made this wine. He's, they're buying their wines back from them. They're not letting Page Springs have them, basically. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting grape, and I think that it does have a lot of potential for some of the other wine areas in northern Arizona. I, uh, if Vignoles works in Chino, I think it would probably work, Saval would also work in Chino Valley. And I know that there's some guy up near Williams growing hybrid varietals, but 
no one seems to know what he's growing, and I haven't met hmm. him, so... Sounds like it's time for a trip. Yeah, but he doesn't have a tasting room or anything yet. Ah, uh, gotcha. It's Wagon Wheel Vineyards or something of that sort. Yeah, we were very intrigued when reading the Wikipedia about the scrape because we realized, oh, it's grown in England, Canada, Virginia, New York State, and, of course, Kansas and Missouri. And then we thought, oh, and we're tasting one from Arizona. This is interesting. But that explains a lot about the creeks and the frost and all that. Yeah, apparently it's actually the biggest grape grown in England. It would be fun to try. It's actually, I think, they're used also in sparkling wines, or so I've heard. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting to try a sparkling Saval, but I also don't plan on going to England anytime soon. (laughs) Is anyone in Kansas and Missouri doing sparkling wines? Yes. I haven't come across any in Kansas yet, but there are several. At Stone Pillar, they have a sparkling Cayuga. Oh, all right. And there are several in Missouri that are doing, actually, there's one that's doing a, um, Sparkling Chamberson Rosé, which sounds like it has potential. Well, that's clearly going to be like the first sparkling wine from there that you're going to get. I know you're a love of Chamberson. And Rosé. Sadly, you have not been able to convince me of yet, but... Um, <laughs> yes. That Maybe sounds, it just doesn't show well. I don't know. I mean, I've still got the bottle that you sent me this time, but I'm waiting for you to get another bottle so we can do a podcast for your Great. blog about it. I will look for a bottle. I keep forgetting to get one, but we shall do that after... Pasca, probably. So Sarah, like Derek, who you met in the last podcast, she is also Orthodox like me. We go actually about as far back as Derek and I go, back to the interesting world that was Orthodox Circle, which is essentially the Orthodox version of MySpace. Back when MySpace was a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, we're old. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So how does this compare other than Tawar to Kansas? And Missouri Sabal, is it better? Is it d- just too different to really categorize? Or I would say that probably the the Kansas ones that I've tried, which I've only tried one or two, I think, but even compared to the Vignoles and sort of the other whites that I've tried from here, they definitely have more of a cheesy thing going on and a little more of a musty thing going on. I've heard it described as you can taste the Missouri humidity. And I think that's a fairly accurate description of what's going on. What do you think compared to the any of the whites that you've received in our trades before, the ones that didn't break? What did I send you? Melody and... You actually did send me a Saval from, from Stone Pillar. Stone Pillar, yeah. No, the Melody was the one that broke. It was the Cayuga that didn't. Oh, yes. How would you feel that those compared to this? What, what would be your opinion? From what I remember, I feel like this one is a little bit more fruity and mm-hmm. a little bit has a little bit of minerality. And, again, that no salt, I remember that one being sort of, like, reminding me of, like, a really nice salty cheese a little bit. Yes. Um, like a nice cave-age. I know exactly what you mean, the French one that's really orange. <laughs> yes, that one. And I yes. can't remember the bloody name. Uh, it's very delicious, whatever it's called. Immolat. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Exciting. So this is opening up quite a bit as it breathes, surprisingly mm-hmm. enough, for a white. I think yeah, the there's a lot of complexity more. here. Mm. Yeah, I think the finish is more complex, maybe a little longer, a little sweeter. And definitely sweeter nose. I think mm-hmm. sweeter fruit rather than sweeter sugar, because mm-hmm. I'm really not detecting much in the way of residual sugar here. Mm-hmm. It has a nice tart finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind mm-hmm. of like biting into a, an apple that's been sitting mm-hmm. next to grapefruit it's definitely or honeydew melon or something yeah. on a hot day. <laughs> 
Yes. Like when they figure out how to genetically engineer a grapefruit and an apple mixed together, this is what it will taste like. What would you even call that? A grapple? <laughs> a grapple, possibly. It's a thing that exists. It sounds like it's already a thing. <laughs> it might be a thing. An ape fruit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's hope that day never comes. We'll just enjoy it here in our glass. So what would you guys pair this with? You guys are also a lot better at vegetarian pairings than I am. That's the whole orthodoxy piece and the fact that, like, half of our friends are vegetarians right now. <laughs> We're getting good at this. <clears throat> I would probably put this with fish. Mm-hmm. That would be my first choice, I think, or shrimp. Or, like, an Alfredo or something. What about combining all three in some sort of sauce. shrimp Alfredo dish? That could be delicious. That would be tasty. What about a vegetarian pairing for this? Vegetarian pairing. Hmm. Maybe something like that. <clears throat> I feel like it should be something light because this is a very, very light vintage. Yeah. We have a kale salad we make often that has apricots and almonds and a balsamic vinaigrette and chickpeas. I could see this being fairly delicious with that. Okay, I'll be right there. (laughs) This is tasty. Yeah, it is. I really like like this. Which is saying a lot for me because I'm never ever the person to spring for a white wine. This is enjoyable. Yeah, it's it's a good white. It's I remember when I first read about Saval Blanc about a year ago, researching in advance for uh, your the bottle that you sent, and it's like I was terrified because I'm like I'm not gonna like this. It's gonna be all like foxy and hybridy and nah. And <laughs> it was so for the Fourth of July, me and a bunch of friends did the American varietals party, and mm-hmm. the idea is that we were going to pair a bunch of American hybrid varietals that we all thought were going to be pretty bad with crappy American fast food, because you know what says America more than the Fourth of July and fast food and massive oh, yeah. And the Saval Blanc was actually the best one. It was the one that I think we all agreed on. Oh wow! Um, the Cayuga was very interesting, but we felt it was a little foxy. The Chambersen was corked, which made us all cry. Uh, well, it made me cry anyway. But we had a Concord just to get it over with. Oh no! Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was the first one we did because we're like, we're gonna get the worst one out of the way off the bat. Yeah. Grape jelly in a jar. <laughs> Rinse your mouth out and move on with your life. Exactly. It's like, okay, we've got Concord. Let's move on. Done. Check. We also had a Riesling from Michigan. When you come and visit, we'll take you for the full American tour, and you might be terribly disappointed, but at least you'll have tried them. So why do you think hybrids are a big thing in Missouri and Kansas? Because you sent me a link to this website, this winery that's growing vinifera, um, Mm -hmm. but it seems like no one else really is. Why do you think that is? I wonder if maybe some of the American varietals or the American hybrids have sort of a proven track record because those are what were being grown before Prohibition in most of Kansas and Missouri. I don't know that there were a lot of, because that was during phylloxera, I believe. So there probably weren't a lot of vinifera being grown in these regions then. And I wonder if the new wineries that are just now kind of getting going in the last 30 or 40 years are just kind of sticking to what they know will work because it's expensive to invest in new vines. That's my best guess. Seems to make sense to me. Here in Arizona, there seems to be a proven track record in most of the state for vinifera, partly because most of the areas where you're growing grapes in Arizona are too high elevation for phylloxera, or the soils are too sandy. Mm. Like I said, the only place I know of that's growing American varietals are two, and that's Dancing Apache Ranch, well, three, okay, there's 
three that I've tasted. Like I said, mm-hmm. there's the fourth in Williams and the fifth in the White Mountains, but you've got Dancing Apache with Saval Blanc. You have Del Rio Springs with Vignoles, and actually this is going to be their first vintage year for Vignoles, um, first harvest. So the vines, I guess, are three or four years old now. Then you have Concord being grown at Granite Creek Vineyards in Chino Valley. Hmm. And there they actually make a sparkling blush from Concord, which actually was almost enjoyable. Not at all like White Zinfandel? No. Oh, God. Good. (laughs) So I'm going to make this announcement here. Um, If you're a woman and you're interested in dating me and you you like White Zinfandel, just no. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's on my list of... Don't even go there. Mallory actually informed us of that yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Yes, she did. How did that come up? I have to ask. Well, we actually took a trip to Stone Pillar yesterday, so we were sitting around tasting wine. <laughs> it just kind of naturally came up. So just how did that opening begin? It's like, so, I know this guy who likes wine, and he's decided never to date anyone who likes white zen, or? She's a very sort of blunt and open person, so she's definitely the sort of person who would sit down at a table and be like, oh, yeah, wine. My friend Cody likes to drink wine, and he's, like, really knowledgeable about wine. And, yeah, the other day he said he would never marry a girl who liked white Zinfandel. You know, something like that. That's essentially how it went. And we were like, oh, we know Cody. We this is he proof, took us to by the way, in six hours. <laughs> that the Orthodox Church in America is an incredibly, incredibly small world. Well, in the Orthodox time. wine world is small indeed. Yeah, and the Arizona wine world itself is also very, very small. And that's actually a very interesting similarity between Orthodoxy in America and the Arizona wine industry, is that everyone knows each other and knows something about each other, and then there are certain people that, and then they're like, oh, hey, we've heard about you from, like, five other people. It's good to finally see you here. That was the response that I got a couple of times in Sonoida. It's like, oh, yeah, we've heard about you. Do you know anything about whether any of the wineries in Missouri and Kansas are using native yeasts? Or not? We do not know. <laughs> Sorry. Jinx. <laughs> that will be forthcoming. We do the rosé podcast for our mutual birthday. We will have the answer for you. Awesome. That's right. You're going to be sending me the sparkling rosé Chamberson, right? Yes. And you're going to send me some sort of rosé and we'll do a double duty podcast. Oh, believe me, I will. I'm already thinking of what rosé is together. Yeah, I like rosé. I'm not ashamed to admit it. As long as it's not white zen. Yes. Amen. Yeah, I still have a bottle of the Pillsbury rosé left, so... Oh, nice. That's- Actually, uh, I think I'm going to send you guys a Nebbiolo rosé. Ooh. Mostly because I know of three good Nebbiolo rosés that are out in tasting rooms right now, and it's just a matter of which one do I choose. Or, alternately, maybe I'll just get six bottles... Two of each, and like, hey, let's drink all of these. <laughs> that would totally not be a problem with us. Nope. Although we might have to invite my brother-in-law to join us for that one. You well, need his commentary good, on that. Yes, it'll be excellent. Yeah, because I actually have, have yet to meet that gentleman, so. <laughs> and apparently he gives really excellent wine descriptions, and that you should is- totally save some of this bottle for him, because yes, I, I would love to hear his description. To take it to him. Say again? I was planning to take it to his house tomorrow, because we're supposed to go over there tomorrow night for dinner, so I was going oh, to take excellent. it with him. We may also take the Kindred. Ooh, yes. Yes. I would because love I- to hear his opinion on the Kindred, too, because... 
The Kindred is definitely phenomenal. It's one of, I think, the best GSM blends in any tasting room right now. And also, it's got the Tawar aspects from two out of the three uh, viticultural areas in Arizona. You've got Wilcox and you've got Sonoida fruit in there, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that one should be exciting. I was kind of debating just holding on to it for a while, but then I was looking at the wax seal, and I thought, I need to drink this soon because it looks exciting. And either be drink it now or wait and drink it on Pasca. True, but we usually go for like things like blackberry mead or like sparkly for Pasca, so I'll drink it now. I have not figured out yet what I'm going to be bringing to my parish when I'm in for Pasca. Usually everyone's always is eagerly awaiting my selection. I'm sure. So if this wine was a person, what kind of person would they be? We're really bad at this. This is like <laughs> the best part of your blog, and I have no stick that can come close to that for my blog. <clears throat> hmm. I would just have to say I'm leaning feminine, like maybe some Midwestern farmer's wife that's like out picking peaches in the summer or something. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. So like you guys except picking peaches. And this one is a little bit Christy Lawler. Married to a farmer. We're getting so, too not like you guys at all. No, definitely feminine. I kind of see this woman being very, very, again, a little tomboyish. Uh-huh. Definitely in either the vineyard or in the farm or in Tan the orchard. Tan but fair Sorry, say again? Tan but fair-haired and blue-eyed. I would agree with that. Yeah. Maybe curly hair. Curly blonde? That could work. Yeah. Maybe graying a little bit. Maybe not quite there yet. So older, then. I mean, not old, but I think she's a grown woman. She's not a girl. Mm-hmm. Like mid-30s. Yeah. Yeah. Mid-30s farmer's wife. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. Yeah. <laughs> in an orchard or a vineyard. So I know, Sarah, you were thinking of coming out in September or August. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, during, that'll be during harvest, actually. So maybe time it right can actually help harvest some places. Which um, would be awesome. And you definitely wanted to visit Sonoida. Yes, for sure. Yeah, we're going to probably, you're going to need to be out here for like a full week. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. Because it takes about two days to do each wine region to hit all the different wineries. I mean, we could do it like we did last time. (laughs) That's okay. Where (laughs) where we get seven in one day and then don't remember anything about the last, well, you guys don't remember anything about the last two, but. No, (laughs) except for the fact that I may or may not have broken several glasses. (laughs) This is why I remember this. <laughs> oh, good times. Indeed. So what's the next wine that you're going to explore on your blog, you think? Well, I have a, po- a post half-drafted right now for the Stone Pillar um, Estate Cabernet Sauvignon from 2012, which I tasted yesterday. It was it was lovely. It actually, I kind of appreciated it more than the Chamberson, which is saying a lot because I'm... So in love with Jefferson. But this one was really fantastic and really classic, but still had some of those Kansas terroirs going on. So I'm kind of excited about reviewing that one. That would be fun. I should send you a bottle of Arizona Cab, and then you can pick up a bottle of Cab from, like, Washington and California and France. Ooh, yeah. And do a tasting party. Like, that would be fun. Like what I did with the Tanat, actually. Mm-hmm. I would love to do that with all the regions in America. Like, find one from the south, because I'm sure someone is somewhere in Georgia or Virginia grows it, and I'm sure someone in maybe Pennsylvania, I'm sure it doesn't go too far north. 
but, but maybe Barbara, kind of the well, you could definitely do Cabernet Franc in New York because there are <laughs> there is a fair bit of Cabernet Franc and grown in New York at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia, from what I'm aware, doesn't grow much, but Virginia has a pretty decent wine. Yeah. Virginia and North and Carolina have some pretty decent wines. I've the few mm-hmm. that I've tried. Mm-hmm. I have a goal at some point to try a wine from all 50 states. Yes. So I've got Arizona covered. I've got New Mexico covered. California I haven't done yet, mostly because it's like, gee, what do I do? Oh, there's so many. Yes, and I have someone who's requested me to expand into Nebraska wines. So you may get a Nebraska wine in your shipment at some point. Well, that'd be interesting. Um, There's actually a Nebraska wine on the menu at Casimir's in Phoenix. It's a Sauvage Blanc, actually. Um, and I meant to get down to Phoenix before and drink it and try it, but I never got a chance because it's Phoenix, and it's far away, and it's Mordor. <laughs> that would be another fun tasting, too, would be uh, Saval Blanc from Nebraska versus Kansas. It would be interesting also if Nebraska has, again, that similar to Kansas Tawar. It would. I know that Nebraska has a far more sandy soil profile than this part of Kansas and Missouri. It's more similar to sort of western Kansas, which I had don't I haven't tried any wines from there yet. So it'd be interesting to see how that varied. Is there anything else you want to say in relation to this wine? Sweet smell in the glass. Like very sweet actually. Fumey. Yeah. I'm finally getting that floral honeysuckle thing that was on the description on the bottle, which I didn't really get in the flavor, but now mm-hmm. that the glass is nearly empty, it's really coming out on the nose. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Like, very much honeysuckle or peony or lilac or something very intensely floral, almost sickeningly, but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... it's Sauvage Blanc, I think, is, is a little underrated. I think it has a lot of potential when it's done right. And at Dancing Apache, it's so incredibly vigorous that they actually had three different harvests of Sauvage wow. Blanc this year. They had the first harvest, and they did a second harvest, and then they did a third harvest just like a, for, like, a dessert wine. Um, wow. So that's going to be pretty interesting, I think. Yes. I think I hope that more wineries give American hybrids a chance because while they aren't sort of the noble grapes of Europe and days of old, they're still a unique part of America, and they do well here for a reason. And it seems like we should give them the chance to succeed. So let's say I popped into Kansas and Missouri tomorrow, and I only had time for six wineries. Which ones would you take me to? Which are your six favorites, essentially? If someone is on a time-constraint trip mm-hmm. that part of the world or that yes. part of the country, where where would you recommend and why, specifically? Stone Pillar Winery, for starters. Yeah, absolutely, number one. Love everything I've tried from there. Yes. And most of it's estate-grown. It's very close by. Family-owned. Awesome, awesome place. Number two would probably be probably the one I sent you today, which does all of the viniferas, which I haven't actually been to or had their wine yet, but I would definitely recommend trying it because I don't know if anyone else in Kansas who's growing Petit Syrah, for example. Yeah, that's super intriguing. It is. I'm really looking forward to trying it. Unfortunately, it's about four hours from here, so it might be a while until I make it down there. Probably Smoky Hill Winery, which is a couple hours west of here. It has a little bit more of the western. It's kind of out past the foothills and the plains, and incidentally, it gets blessed by the Orthodox priests in Wichita every year, and they have a huge dinner and, like, sort of festival there. So it's holy and large and way out in the plains. So I would definitely recommend that one. 
probably Stonehill Winery in Missouri because it's the one that dates back to 1847. And they have quite, they're very established. They have caves. They have, they definitely know what they're doing. They have a higher volume. Maybe Amagoni. Yeah, they're definitely interesting. Yeah. For an urban winery. Even though the winery is not on site, just the tasting room experience is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And they definitely all have, like, a, their own kind of, like, taste. I don't even know how to describe it, but, like... Yeah. And then Weston Wine Company is probably our other favorite, which is up in Weston, Missouri, which is kind of right on the Kansas-Missouri border north of Kansas City. And it's also been there for quite a while. I don't remember exactly how many years. But it is quite tasty, and it's in an old German Lutheran church from the 1800s. It's been converted into a lovely tasting room, and the people are extremely knowledgeable, which is nice because that doesn't always happen in Kansas wineries. So, yeah, whirlwind tour. Excellent. What would you say the best grapes in that area are, based on your experience? Norton seems to do really well here. Norton is called the Cabernet Sauvignon of Missouri, and it's actually the state grape of Missouri, so there's a reason there's quite a lot of it. And any Nortons that I've tried have been fantastic. Um, Chamberson is kind of my personal favorite, but it's not always the most popular. What would you think for whites, Greta? Kansas whites? I really like the Cayuga Stone Pillar, but that's just me. It's kind of bright and lemony. probably haven't tasted the variety that you have, but that is one that stands out to me. Mm-hmm. I think Vignole has potential, but I have yet to try dry Vignole, so most of them, well, my parents really appreciate them, or my dad, I guess, appreciates them. I'm not as appreciative because I can't get past all the sugar, but I do know there's a few places in Missouri who are doing a dry Vignole, and once I try those, I will get back to you. And send me one or two as well, because that would be... Because sure. that's the goal of Del Rio. He wants to make a dry Vignoles. Exciting. So, Stone Pillar, you've mentioned they're growing Georgian varietals. Yes. Do you know when their first harvest is going to be? I don't. I I know they've just planted them within the last couple of years, and I know kind of their big project right now is they're working on some single-barrel estate chambersons and cabs and kind of putting a lot more attention and energy into those. So I'm not sure exactly what the status of the Georgian plantings is right now. Because I would love... What grapes... What Georgian grapes they have, are they growing? Uh, Saparavi currently, and they have not yet made wine from that at all. And then they have Arcazzatelli, which is white, and they have had some very limited vintages from that, and I haven't actually been able to taste any because they were sold out when I went to get some. Yeah. Indeed. But I'm really looking forward to those, and also definitely looking forward to their single-barrel um, estate Chamberson that should be out within the next couple of months. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd need to definitely get me a bottle of that Saparavi because I'd be very interested to see what it does there compared to Georgia, mostly because I am now on a crusade of sorts to try and get people to plant that grape here in Arizona. Ooh, it sounds like a worthy mission. Well, yeah, it's super I've tasty. never tried it, but I know that I like it, so <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> It's just one of those things that you know it's a dark tannic red, so it's right up your palate alley. This is true. <laughs> is pal yours? <laughs> it's now. It's right up your pally. <laughs> that was like the perfect unintentional glitch ever because I said palate alley. And it, it was wonderful. That'll be right up your pally. <laughs> Well, since we don't know the word for mouth aeration, we'll just have to go with pally. 
<laughs> It'll be a specific word for a person's sort of particular preferences in wine. Yes, this is good. I like that. Yes. Well, gang, we should probably bring this to a close. Yes, thank you for the wonderful wine. This has been a pleasure. Definitely. You are welcome. Thank you guys for joining me this afternoon. Looking forward to your next visits out here, and hopefully I will make it to you guys, if not this year, then next year. Definitely. Um, it all depends on how crazy. So on that note, all you listeners, have an excellent afternoon. And until we meet again, this is Cody Burkett from the Arizona Wine Monk with Sarah and Greta at thesheathandvine.wordpress.com. You guys have an excellent evening. Have fun. Let me know what uh, your brother-in-law says, because I'd be interested in hearing his quote on this wine. I definitely will. Until we meet again, this is Cody Vladimir Chasen Burkett from the Arizona Wine Monk and Friends, signing off. Goodbye.